Hello and welcome to Sartorial Stories, LCF's object-based podcast in which I, Susanna Cordner, invite in someone who works in or with fashion and ask them to buy in an item from their work or from their wardrobe. Today I'm joined by Madeline Macy, Chief Marketing Officer at Liberty. Thank you very much for joining us, Madeline. Absolute pleasure. Um, as I briefly said there, within this series I invite in someone who works in or with fashion and we cover quite a, a wide range of roles within that. Um, so I find the best place to start is to ask people to introduce their practice, their profession. What do you do? So my profession goes across basically communications and all form of communication. And I think the best way to talk about it is if you think about storytelling. So if you think about storytelling, that is the best way to get people involved with a brand, involved with a journey, involved with a story. And so we do that through um, image and word activations. And so my role encompasses, uh, so Chief Marketing Officer is essentially a role that looks across all the different aspects of what we do as a business and how we can um, get into people's worlds and into their mindsets and how that they can then connect back with us. Um, and we have the most extraordinary wealth of storytelling at Liberty in all the different ways um, that, that, that we practice. Um, and therefore, a storyteller, I think is probably the best way to explain what I do. Yeah, that's gorgeous. I love the idea of taking um, an element and bring it into people's lives and minds rather than it being about product. It's about that weave, weaving and connection. Um, sounds really nice. Um, it all sounds like a huge role that could go in all kinds of directions. So could you please outline what your role entails? Entails, day to day. So um, Liberty is split into three really distinct business channels. We have our uh, Omni Retail, which is our beautiful store which is our grade two heritage listed building in the middle of london and um, which we're all immensely fond of and then we have a really successful e-commerce site and then within that we have our loyalty program which is how we connect with all our customers um, and there's lots of very exciting activations that go in within that pillar then we have our fabrics business and our fabrics business is a wholesale model so it's very different and uh, we have an amazing roster of artists within our own um, offices so in the middle of London we have artists painting and then turning into digital art um, and then creating prints um, and we've been doing that for 150 years it's been as, it's as old as our retail business mm. um, and it's global so that's very large but a completely different business model and then we have our own brand our Liberty brand and that in comprises of we just launched ready to wear um, we've been doing sleepwear for quite a while, we've been doing accessories for a while, and we've been doing scarves since the 1900s. <laughs> but essentially, we like to think of ourselves as the world's oldest startup, or oldest startup brand. So my role goes across all three of those pillars, and running the marketing, the press, the brand for all of them. And then I also look after the creative um, capacity within the retail. So I have a team who does all the windows, um, and then we also, all the publications we do and all that sort of thing. So it's it's... I feel very blessed to have a role that is so creative um, and and uh, I've actually made it that way if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> I forced it to happen. I, oh, that's but, um, really interesting. Yeah. So you've cultivated your I've own I've cultivated it. It's evolved and I'm fortunate enough to work with an environment that welcomes that kind of entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and um, looking for what the opportunity in the white space is and, and then doing something with it. And I have a, a brilliant team who is open to risk-taking and having a go. Yeah. That's what it's about. Okay, so you lead by example and the risk-taking continues and evolutions continue within your team. I like the sound of that. Um, so we'll speak more about Fashion at Liberty later, but um, because of that connection to London College of Fashion this series, I'd be interested to know how your role relates to London fashion. 
relates to London fashion, my role. Um, it's an interesting one because we're inspired by what's around us all the time. And I think when we're in it all the time, uh, through osmosis we pick things up without properly appreciating it. It's when I go away, spend time away, like we just had five days in New York and then I had a period in Dubai immediately afterwards and then I came back to London again, you recognize the, the richness that's around you. Um, and so I think it's quite important to take stock and we appreciate. Um, I'm also not good enough at going to exhibitions and go, you know, in a way because we're so spoiled mm. and you know it's there, Yes. you don't do it enough. Yeah, absolutely you know? can relate to that. <laughs> um, so uh, we've actually uh, started within my team, we've started a bit of a, a schedule where we'll mix up a, a lucky mix, a pick and mix of people and uh, every Friday morning we'll go to an exhibition, a completely oh, different lovely. group will go. Um, but there's quite a lot of us, so that does mean that there goes quite a period of time before we go again. <laughs> the but, rotation. But the rotation. So uh, that's not a direct answer to your question, but we do, um, within the fabrics, uh, we have a really uh, new and important um, initiative called Liberty Discovers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't read about this. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, Liberty Discovers, it exists in... Um, it exists in different ways depending on who we're working with, but essentially the mission is to enable creativity. So we have uh, an extraordinary fabrics business and 250 new designs a year. And there are also an extensive archive to pull from, 45,000 uh, 45, uh, designs that we work with. So we look for young talent to come and work with us. So we are able to so Matty Boven is the most recent one that we've worked with and actually we just gave him free reign to pick fabrics which we sponsored him with and he created his collections. Now um, what he did with it we had no idea mm. how much he used we only knew the quantity of what he ordered from us um, so when we went and actually watched the runway show and it was every single look we fell off our seats <laughs> I mean it was beautiful was and inventive it was so thrilling mm. Um, so again, that was that was us uh, enabling him with our fabrics, and we've done that with him for two seasons, which is brilliant. And then someone else will work in a completely different way. Mm. Um, so it, it it really depends. Yeah. Um, a project like that allows you to build interconnections between those different strands that you described as well. Absolutely. It goes from your own brand, those fabrics, their artistry, yes. and then those external designers who might be within the wider store. That's Absolutely really right. Yeah. Um, so, do you have a personal interest in fashion, and if so, does it predate your role with Liberty? Mm. Uh, I definitely have a personal interest in fashion. <laughs> I, um, I've always loved fashion, and I was, I was trying to think about when I really first clocked, and I think it was, um, there's an amazing thing called Glyndebourne. Do you know Glyndebourne? Yes, I, so, I used to live in Brighton. Oh, you so, did? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Glyndebourne, for those who don't know, is, is an incredible manor house in the country and um, the family were running out of money for this house many many years ago and they decided to build an outdoor space for opera and so you have uh, black tie picnics during the opera and I remember the first time my mum used to get dressed for it and, and this was in the 80s and I would watch her get dressed in the 80s um, which you can imagine is just the most fabulous yeah. uh, clothing and there was one dress in particular that I particularly can think of um, they'd bring their candelabras and they'd send out a rug and they would sit there in their tucks on the grass 
eating. Um, and it was just a really special, special moment. Yeah. And I think that's when I just fell in love with the fantasy of fashion. I was going to say, there sounds like a sense of ceremony and the it's ceremony. attaching the clothing to a setting and experience. Yeah, in a rose garden with yeah. music. And so I, it, it definitely, was, that's when clothes really started to speak to yeah. me. And also it being kind of transformational that you're watching your mother go through this process. Exactly. And, and, and wanting key. to be grown up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So did uh, your mother, watching your mother go through that, did that then influence how you dressed yourself? You said there was a particular dress that stood out. There's a particular dress, Mm -hmm. um, which was a very bohemian... It wasn't a it wasn't a, a, a poofy eighties satin number. It was it was a bohemian flowing. It looked like a late seventies piece um, that stays with me. Or something, yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll probably uh, talk more about that personal connection to style later. But first of all, um, when I was researching you ahead of today, I saw your previous PR and marketing roles mm. have been with other fashion brands as mm. well. You've kind of touched on it with that three-strand approach to Liberty, but I'd be interested to hear how working with an individual brand, how much that compares to working at Liberty, where you've got all those different strands and brands operating at the same time. So I've always worked in-house with brand. That's This is the first time that I haven't worked in-house with a designer. So I've been... I've been um, absolutely honoured to work with some of the greatest designers. Um, my most recently with was Mr. Blanick, mm-hmm, um, and he is a complete legend. Uh, um, and then my first was with Roland Murray. and I actually started Roland Murray. I was a work experience for a little PR firm, mm. and uh, we had to work the show, and that was part of my experience was lying out the press releases, blah blah blah. And we could choose something from the rail of clothing that the PR agency had. And I wore a full-on strapless gown with this big chiffon wrap that went around the back. And I turned up and Ronan looked at me and he went, get that girl to change immediately, because I was wearing this ridiculous outfit. And uh, so I changed yeah. to something far more modest and appropriate for ah. an interning PR. Um, the but then was made, it was statement though. was made, and he actually employed me to be his showroom model. Oh, incredible! So that's how yeah. I met him. So it was worth making a grandiose <laughs> statement. Um, but that was a really special time, and I was a rubbish showroom model, but I was very good at um, being helpful mm-hmm. uh, and answering the phone and understanding what needs to be done. And so he offered me a job, and I ended up running his um, press for four years, and mm. we went all over the world and did all sorts of extraordinary things. So. It was kind of by accident how I fell into it. But what's so interesting about working inside a brand is that you are really part of that transformation, that you can really get on hold, get hold of what your creative director is trying to do and help them get there, help the business get there, help help it grow. Um, and then now working in retail is actually quite different because one's a marathon, this is a sprint. Okay. So one is about building something that's going to last longer than all of us, that's the ambition. Whereas in retail, you have to react and respond so quickly to what the market's mm. doing, to what the customer's doing. Um, we think about um, commercially, promotions, uh, what's happening on the social calendar. It's it's much faster pace. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is in my current role, we're balancing off growing a brand and building on a legend, mm. but also having to be really super smart in what is actually a very difficult climate. Yeah. Um, and we're doing very well, 
but you're you're constantly against the headwind. So it's very very different challenge and approach. Yeah, absolutely, because half about reaction and being re- able to be reactive, and the other about as you say that long term legacy. But within those roles that you've described, working in house with a brand, it sounds like you're already kind of making your mark as a storyteller. Because you said about trying to recognise what the creative director wanted to say and how to how to draw that out. So I think that's a really particular way of defining the work that you do, which is really interesting. Um, so do you think the work the work that you do influences the way that you dress we've already had a kind of personal connection to how you dress but what about professional um quick answer is yes (laughs) i i have realized i'm a complete chameleon so the brands that i've worked with i in my role you're also an ambassador so you're very much a front-facing part of your business and you're going out and you're meeting people and you're telling them what you're working on and you're trying to get press and people to get on board and support so you dress to match your environment Mm. and now I'm in an environment where you can be whoever you want to be I actually really struggled at the beginning because I was like what is my uniform (laughs) I don't know what I should be doing and my wardrobe is well ridiculous but there are many many things I would not wear now Mm. because I wore them when I was being a chameleon in that particular zone yeah and I want to keep them because they're beautiful and I love them and it reminds me of a period of time but I'm not pretty I realized I'm not a pretty girl. I disagree. You don't think well? That's very sweet of you. Um, but I'm, that's not, I'm much in more masculine in, in the way yeah, that I dress. In terms of self-presentation, Absolutely. how you want to portray. So it's been quite an interesting mm. fashion journey of the last kind of three years. Oh, that's really gorgeous that actually your professional platform, rather than inhibiting you, has been an opportunity here at Liberty to find out who you want to be yeah. and how your clothes um, correlate to that. Because, yeah, that's interesting in turn because it links back to what you were saying earlier about the sense of setting and clothing. But really that's about character and dress and the now you're able to find out who you are yeah. in your own right rather than how it hang. I say wearing a blue polo neck, which is like <laughs> really unexpressive, but um, yeah, it's That's lovely. Uh, and you've got your Liberty scarf. I've got my Liberty scarf, own, which is a, a really nice styling detail. Um, in another interview that I've done for this series, my interview said that she wears her work. And um, from what you said there, it's that you've actually been given a, a free reign for, to use your clothes as an expression point within your role. But have you become conscious of wearing Liberty more? within this role? I think there's also a difference though, which is more than role, what I recognized is uh, age, which I find really interesting because now I'm a grown up. <laughs> and um, it, it seems to have happened to me rather quickly that I've realized I'm a grown up. And uh, what you wear and what is appropriate or not is quite interesting. And that's something else that I've been thinking about. And also, um, I'm making more of an effort now. I used to never wear makeup, ever. And I've started to do that. There are little things Mm. that change that almost without you consciously doing it, and then you're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I doing that? Yeah, the psychology of it, also being a gentle evolution. Yes, definitely stylistic change so we've touched on already the, the connection to place setting character your mother that the clothes mm. can create for you you also mentioned there about things that you've kept almost as treasured items rather than things that you're going to carry on wearing do you think of your clothes as kind of memory holders or, oh definitely yeah. <laughs> definitely I am um, I have boxes and boxes of clothes in my attic mm. I even have um, an intern who worked for me 20 years ago who came from the Middle East bought me an incredible garb. Mm. I even have that. I mean, I have 
everything, yeah. um, which is kind of extraordinary. And there's a... Your a, own archive. My <laughs> own archive. And what's interesting is um, a friend of mine has launched a rental platform, uh, which I think is absolutely the way forward and really interesting. And I've handed over a lot of my wardrobe to her to rent. Mm. Um, and there's this feeling of pride that other people are enjoying. Yes renting garments that I loved and had a memory and making memories of their own because they're just sat in boxes and in my cupboard they're not being used yeah. and sadly I don't have a daughter so that won't happen that was the big plan yeah. um, so uh, yeah that's there is something very important about clothes mm. emotionally that's incredibly generous of you though because you've described them as your own memory holders and as something you feel real personal resonance to but then you've also described having joy in other people wearing them personally I wear a lot of vintage clothing and I love the idea that someone's worn them before me and not wear them after me but I think there's a real generosity of spirit of letting someone else wear them now so it's interesting to hear you say that well my <laughs> girlfriend borrowed one of my dresses as her wedding dress oh that's amazing which is that's amazing really nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, gave it back to me and I felt like she should keep it but then I was like no I really like it <laughs> Yeah, she can borrow mm. back another time. She can borrow another time. <laughs> yeah, she has the legacy, the photos of it. Yeah, that's really lovely. That's a great example. And that's an interesting um, kind of building on fashion history. I did an exhibition, I worked an exhibition about wedding dresses, and it used to be more common for dresses to be passed between women and adapted to different forms of wear and different eras, and it'd be nice to bring that back. But I think that makes sense, mm. because I my wedding dress was by Roland, oh. and... Um, it was before he started doing a wedding dress collection, actually, um, and it was an amazing experience. And he draped it on me, and, and the whole thing was just fabulous. Um, but I haven't worn it since. Yeah. Um, because it's a full-length white gown. Yes. There's just are not that many opportunities. <laughs> uh, I have to create one. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a good challenge to take. But also, that dress sounds like an act of friendship as well, because it, it connects was. that relationship to him, which is the ultimate for a wedding dress, I think. Um, so this podcast relates to LCF's archives and my work as a curator. It sounds like you, in effect, collect your own clothes, but do you collect anything else? Are you conscious of keeping any other items as, as treasures? Um, well, actually, that's what I brought. Perfect. So we can move on to your object. So we can move on to my object. So my actual object is this white space on the table here because I lost it. Oh, okay. Which is heartbreaking yeah. because it was a Liberty scarf that belonged to my grandma. Oh. So my grandma didn't have very much and um, one of the things my mum gave me was one of her Liberty scarves. It was before I worked here. Mm. And it was really, really precious. And I lost it this year, oh, which is just, yeah. I mean, when I realized I, I, it was one of those, I wore it to, to an enormous party in Margate. You never take things that are really special yeah. to enormous parties in Margate. <laughs> um, and when I realized it had gone, I literally just sat down and cried. Mm. Because these things do hold value. Yeah, definitely. Um, it feels like a physical loss. That it sounds does. really melodramatic, but I think it's the connection yeah, to it, the body. It's the connection, it's the connection that it was something that, to my grandmother, yeah. that was the, my last thing, the thing yeah. that I had. Anyway, so I felt very foolish. And I've been collecting Liberty scarves before that anyway. And now it's kind of gone into some kind of overdrive in this, in this yeah, um, to ambition fill this to fill the yeah, void. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I'm wearing one. I've got three others. I mean, the scarves we have now are beautiful. Mm. But there's the reason that I particularly really love a Liberty scarf is because every single one also has our different logos because it has so many different yes, logos through the ages. Um, so the typography, the scale of the print. Um, so this one's from the 20s and you've got these lovely little ladies in these drop waist dresses. They're obviously having a 
gorgeous oh, kind of Gatsby gorgeous. party. Yeah. And it's got all the colours, the, the pinks and the mauves and the browns and mm. the, the, the creams that were so prevalent then. It almost looks like a pointless painting. It, At first glance, that just looked like, it looked like a really, really beautiful abstract floral. And it, then, yeah, exactly. Right, the and then you get in and you can see the ladies. Yeah, <laughs> the ladies like prancing down the stairs and doing Stunning. the Charleston. And then this one is um, much more garish, much more bold. And it's got these... Uh, kind of shiny greys and pinks and browns, which were much more 80s. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually really love this one yeah, because there are so many colours, it goes with everything. Clever. So these are uh, pieces that are uh, still in the wardrobe. They're collected items, but they're, they're still put to use. In oh, yes, outfits. all the time. Yeah, in fact, funny. I have a silk scarf in my handbag at all times <laughs> because you never know when you need it. And it's weird how warm it keeps you, by the way. Yeah. It's very practical. practical. And then this one is a centenary one, um, which I found on eBay from because um, we started in 1875. And this one was 1975. And we did a... Um, with the V&A, we did a massive uh, centenary exhibition, um, and this was the scarf they produced for the centenary. So this yeah. is one of my favourites because again, the, the the typography is so bold. Yeah. Um, that's something that you wouldn't really do. In fact, I actually think it's probably come around again. But mm. um, Liberty and Co. So that's another of my favourites. Pride and a sense of time, and also I'm I'm blanking despite having a cushion in this print. But the, oh, the, Hera, the, Hera, thank Hera you. Hera print. Um, it, the peacock, the, which the peacock's iconic. really iconic. Exactly. Yeah. So with each of these, I think at, te- at fifty paces you'd recognise that they're a Liberty, but they're all completely different, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Um, so you've mentioned with that last one that you found it on eBay. Where did you source the others? How do you hunt out these uh, Charity shops. Um, eBay actually mostly, to be honest. Um, but charity shops and also other people give them to me because mm. they know that I love them and I always wear them, which is really nice mm. too. Um, I like having that association with an item. It's good we to actually had an 85-year-old woman from LA mm. knock on our head office door to donate a scarf for our archive mm. that she'd brought all the way over, wow. um, which I thought was credible. Yeah, it's um, like it's coming home. It's coming home. Yeah. That's what she felt she wanted to do. Yeah, that's really nice. I think that's a real um, honour I find in my own role is that kind of personal connection to people that they, they trust you with their items and the stories attached. Exactly. So, yeah, and I like that how that, that seems like a real personal interest that kind of predates your role here, connects to that history with your grandmother and in turn with your mother by handing it on to you. But then now it's got this professional connection with yeah. the storytelling and that branding. And responsibility of continuing the legacy so that's um, that's definitely one of my personal missions in my job here yeah can you tell me more about that okay that's I think that's quite a potent um, responsibility to give yourself well it's actually um, it's totally shared I think with people who work here I don't think it's it's something that's individual to me and it's uh, you our CEO who joined us um, two years ago who's brilliant he feels incredibly you know, he had he once had a dream that the building was cross with him for ignoring it, right? <laughs> we feel this kind of responsibility yeah. to work here and do something extraordinary by it, um, and and uh, and and build on that legacy. So, you no, know, we're we're all immensely proud, mm. although. It's also quite hard work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they make you earn your keep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting, the sense that the building is important as well. Um, I definitely grew up in the north and I'd have occasional trips to London and going to Liberty was this real rush. And I think you can see people wanting to experience the brand through the building while they're there. Um, how do you feel like, what what place does that have in your role? Because you've spoken about storytelling mm-hmm. within print and kind of media outputs, but what about within the space itself? 
So interestingly, next year, 2020, we are going to embark on an enormous restoration project of the entire building. Um, it's been there for 145 years and, um, no, sorry, just over 100 years. And it needs to be looked after. Okay. Uh, and it was built to last for 100 years. So we are in the right moment to do that. But what's really interesting is over the years, there have been things that have done that have been outside of building regulations because they didn't even exist then. Yes. So um, we are going to have to not only look after the building that we have, but also undo works that were done. I'm sure with good intention, but you know the regulations in the 70s and 80s were absolutely not what we need to do now. So we need to take the building back to when it was first created in, um, in the 20s. Because um, the, the building was born in uh, 1924. I said born, it's not a yeah, person. It was <laughs> built, oh my that. God. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do the same thing with objects that I look yeah. after. They all become, they all get personified. Yeah, that's so really terrible. nice that the building, um, the building Yes, the building was born in 1925. Yeah. So we need to take it back to how it was first created. Mm. So it, it is an extraordinary project and we have heritage architects who are working with us on it. And we've had to find um, artisans from all over the country mm who are stonemasons, who are, because these are skills yes. that hardly exist anymore. Yeah. So we've had to bring them all together. Um, we're going to have to do every single window. I mean, it's going to be extensive. But with that comes an amazing opportunity to tell the story of the building mm. and how it's all put together in the tiny pieces of stained glass. Some of them were salvaged from churches from the 12th century. So it in itself is we are uncovering things that we don't know. I was going to say it's a huge research project. It's as well, a I massive imagine. research it's like project. A sourcing and research. Absolutely. Reverse. So and it's my responsibility uh, to make sure that that story is told mm. because um, you know what we're going to have really ugly scaffolding all over it for a really long time so um, actually how can we make sure that we take that as an opportunity to engage with people bring them in explain what's going on and why and how these people are artisans so some of the hoarding is going to have windows in it so you can see oh, the people really nice. working and but so myself and my team uh, it's our responsibility to make that make it engaging yeah absolutely and will that um, engagement all happen on site or you know in the age of the pop-up store and things will you take it into other spaces I don't know but I'll take that idea thanks yeah. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> um, I think that it's going to be all sort, it's going to be a mix yeah. of video mm. a mix of um, you know print articles a mix of press a mix of events a mix of you know we, we'll do a whole timeline of yeah. of what's being worked on as we go yeah, um, sounds amazing. So another evolution under your wing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another stand of storytelling, which is kind of amazing. Um, so we've deliberately met up close to Christmas for this conversation. How does Liberty celebrate the festive season? So Liberty is the home of Christmas. <laughs> Obviously, I'm obsessed with Liberty, so I'm going to say that. But I really think if we, if we think about um, expression we allow ourselves to be a little bit eccentric. And our Christmas this year is um, pink and petrol blue. And we've grown a tree through the middle of our central atrium. Um, and on the boughs of these trees are laden with gifts and animals from faraway lands. And we work with this amazing young poet, Gabrielle, who um, wrote the story of how the tree came to be in Liberty. And I mean, it's just a bit bonkers. Um, but that's okay because Christmas should be about magic. Yeah. Um, 
So that's what it is. Bit yeah. of magic. Yeah, bit of magic, bit of exuberance. And again, a collaboration with an artist and a poet. Yes. With someone like Gabrielle, how do you how do you find them? Is that through Liberty Discovers or is that about building connections? Uh, do you know she that was connections. Mm. So she's um she's a hat maker. Oh really? Uh yeah, she's brilliant. And um she's also a friend of someone who works here. So mm. yeah, we were introduced and, and she actually worked with us on Christmas last year as well. Um, with the animals. So the Liberty Community Grows. The Liberty Community Grows. Um, so that seems like a very clear community and creative uh, output and experience of Liberty at Christmas. What role does fashion play within that narrative? Fashion's a really interesting one because in terms of our commercial opportunity, fashion is not the biggest one at Christmas. Okay. Because you buy the odd pretty dress for yourself, but this is the season of gifting. Mm. So do you gift garments? Not really. Um, so, but what we then do in the fashion space is it's new season season coming in. Um, so when we're talking about fashion, we talk about the new season that's arrived on the shop floor, and then serious fashion shoppers will come in for their new season fashion at that moment. But in terms of Christmas and fashion, it's not our big commercial message. So we get um, very purist with our fashion comms. Um, and because we have an extraordinary database of customers, we're able to use some really smart data segmentation in order to know who wants to talk about um, stockings mm -hmm. and baubles and who wants to talk about Dries. And then we're able to speak to the right people about the right thing. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, but how about people buying for themselves? Because I, I totally understand the gifting element, but I can also imagine someone coming to root through your rails to find their new party outfit. Is that another separate within that segmentation you just described? Yeah, and, and it is. And um, we'll be very careful to curate the fashion offer to match the, the mood um, of the season. So whether that be summer, whether that be uh, spring or Christmas, when you have your sparkles in your feathers and whatever you want to do. <laughs> that sounds glam. Um, <laughs> how about beauty? Because beauty is an, yeah, I, I often make trips to the beauty stores at Liberty and it's an incredibly important part of your offer. Where does that chime with Christmas and with that wider kind of fashion and self-presentation message? Well, our beauty advent calendar yes. almost needs no introduction. <laughs> um, we were really the first to do this and it has had the most extraordinary success. Uh, we sell out every year. And this year we've started um, shipping it to the States and it was huge. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's 250 pounds for over 600, that 600 pounds worth of products, uh, of which 13 are full size. And I mean, I don't need to pitch it. Yeah, it's amazing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we launched uh, an alternative advent calendar as well, the other advent calendar this year too, which went really well. What's the um, alternative advent calendar? The other advent calendar, it was, it was, wasn't just beauty, because there are people who might want other lovely things, like um, we had amazing phone chargers, and um, we still had scented candles, but we had, a, it kind of went outside of just beauty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that went very well too. Um, but our beauty hall, we're very proud of because it is unthreatening space. 20% of our customers are male. Um, and we, we, we love our male community who come into the beauty hall and a lot of our um, offer is about skincare as well and where we really differ is we 
find amazing new brands and talents and again that discovery piece and we launched them in our beautiful and we launched Aveda which is kind of amazing now you think how enormous they are didn't know that, yeah. um, so uh, yeah it does it does some great things yeah how satisfying something else that I always am really conscious of when I visit Liberty is that you cater for different price points as well and that's definitely true absolutely in the hall, so. it's democratic luxury yeah. Yeah. So you can come in and buy a button, mm. or you can come in and buy a vintage um, Hermes bag for forty-four thousand pounds, and it doesn't matter. We love you all. <laughs> That's very festive spirit. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Liberty's window designs are legendary, and their their reveal is a kind of key event on the festive retail calendar. Um, you've spoken before about the, your storytelling and how that relates to the building. How about the windows? How do they come about? How do you pick the theme? How far in advance are they planned? They are planned. We've already planned twenty twenty Christmas. Really? Yes, oh, when we're off air, I'm gonna yes. and get that out of you. <laughs> um, and uh, so that is slightly ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, these windows were planned spring this year, um, and the team is headed up. Um, my team is headed up by Lisa Cleminger, who is a genius, and actually a very small team of people who work incredibly hard, mm-hmm. um, and they have also amazing production contacts. And it depends where the idea comes from, actually. It's never one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a kind of a, a collection of things. Uh, the one for 2020 was definitely one person's idea, and last Christmas was one person's idea. This Christmas just kind of came about from a round table discussion. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is, it really is, uh, it's very different. Yeah, and are the windows treated as their own design entity or does it relate to the wider messaging and design of the store and of your No, what I've, what I've tried to do and what we're going to get better at is making sure that we're really clever with what we do. So what, what you need to be careful of is you don't have pockets of people with lots of brilliant ideas and they're all going off like fireworks because then nothing sticks. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, curating an idea and having a really strong core or principle of that message and then understanding how it's going to cascade through all our channels so um what's going to look like what's going to feel like what what is our ultimate drive of what we're trying to do with this campaign with this moment and then what's that going to look like in our windows online in social in our emails um so in our press days in customer events it has to have a thread that runs all the way through it so that you are consistent with what you're doing. Otherwise, nothing, nothing will resonate. Mm. Um, and what's extraordinary is the amount of times you have to repeat something for it to stick. Really? In terms of your customer feedback or in terms of... Um, kind of G- generally, generally in, in just, just the principle of communication, mm. Mm. you need to really reiterate and hammer home a message for it to stick because there are so many things out there. It is so cluttered. Uh, we are we are hungry for content and we are also completely bloated with it. Yeah. So it's being able to um, stick to something that you really believe in and repeat it in ways that really mean something to what you're doing so that your customer can hear you in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Um, and remain engaged with it as well yeah. through that repetition. So to answer your question, no, we don't in isolation plan a window. Mm. We plan an entire campaign and we think about every channel that it's going to appear in. Okay. Um, this time of year is kind of a turning point. We touched on before the idea that people might be looking for gifts, but they also might be looking for new outfits for the party season. And then New Year comes and we all have our best intentions and try to make best uh, put our best foot forward. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to know how you think the Liberty customer can make more sustainable choices this festive season. 
Mm. I think we're really into um, conscious shopping. Um, buy something because you really love it. We buy it and put it in our shop because we really love it. And we want our customers to behave in the same way. And I think if there is um, trust and in what we're presenting as something really believe in, then people will shop and buy what they really want to own. Mm. Uh, don't buy things quickly. Think about it. Spend a little bit more money on it and buy less. Um, that's quite key. Um, and in fact, my friend, he launched this rental space. We're going to be having them in that's February in that. store. Yeah. Okay. So they are going to appear um, in Liberty. Uh, it's my wardrobe HQ, and we will have um, you're able to rent out of Liberty. Again, for those people who can't afford to buy the, the really special piece, yeah. at least you can own it and have it for a while and make your own memory out yeah. of it and then move it on. Um, and that might be an opportunity that you have as Liberty rather than in your previous roles being kind of in-house within a brand that you can be a absolutely for a service like that. I think it makes complete sense as an evolution of what you do. We also have a vintage section that's mm. been going for... Uh, many many years and actually has been huge growth this year so it already demonstrates that our customers thinking in a slightly different way which we we think is brilliant yeah um, and within your own personal interest in vintage and collecting these items that must be quite exciting to yeah see absolutely um, I read that you used to be a regular visitor at the Fashion Textiles Museum in Bath. And yes. One of my favourite things that they do is they've got that initiative, the Dress of the Year. So every yeah. year they select a new uh, dress to collect. Um, do, do they you, still do that? Yeah, they still do. Do they? How yeah, great. Interesting. And they get a different person from the industry to select the dress every year yep. in consultation with their curators, which I think is a really nice way of kind of pairing the industry with the kind of the hindsight Definitely. of the work. Um, what do you think the Dress of the Year is going to be? Oh, the Dress of the Year. Well, it needs to be something that is sustainable. It needs to be something that um, speaks to longevity and um, craftsmanship, I think, as well, is very important. And we worked in our Discovers program with um, an extraordinary young talent called Duran, D-U-R-A-N, if you know who he is. Um, he's brilliant, if I was pronouncing it properly. Mm -hmm. um, not only is he an absolutely lovely person, but what he does and what he believes in is this... Um, sustainability that's still really extraordinary design. So he will take uh, garments that are not wanted at the end of a sale, mm. uh, but really like a Margiela and a Chloe, and a, and he will break them down, the garments, into different pieces mm. and then build them up again to create something completely different. And and it really is incredible, actually. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does their, their works of art. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure I can pinpoint an exact dress that he's yes, done, but something his out of his portfolio yeah which is still very small because he literally only just started mm. um, but I think what he's doing is very important yeah absolutely and which is a gorgeous choice because it links to London fashion it looks at this idea of sustainability and building back to base product and evolving and um, but it also connects to what you said about sharing items and the idea yeah. that a garment can have more than one life and connect exactly. to different personalities so I love that choice um, as my final question before I set you free for the afternoon um, you've described your role as projecting in building the uh, legacy of liberty and within this conversation we've kind of spoken about both protecting and projecting what liberty mm. means um, what do you want that legacy to be it needs to be enabling and curating extraordinary design so we are curators and creators we do both mm. 
And um, that really is what's very important and very profound is that we continue to, we have this, we have a great tension between the traditional and also the avant-garde. And it's always been that way. So that's something that we need to protect and enhance to make sure that we are always standing for craft, standing for quality, um, looking to our archive, but then always pushing it and working with young, uh, extraordinary people, not just young, they can be old, but like extraordinary talents yeah. who can actually take it in a new and unknown direction. So those are the things that we want to do. Yeah, lovely. So working as a launch pad, but always keeping that strand, that story of liberty in mind. Absolutely. Sounds like a good legacy to build. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. That was really fun. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. I could talk to you for hours. Um, (laughs) And thank you all very much for listening.